Digging Our Past is produced by the Horde Historical Museum in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. Welcome to the first episode of the Horde Historical Museum's new podcast. I'm Marilee Lee, the director of the Horde Historical Museum, and I'm excited to start this journey with you. Our podcast series is called Digging Our Past, and there's two reasons why we're calling our podcast this. Sometimes history is a bit hidden from view, and you have to dig for it. Occasionally, it's a literal digging in the soil for the past, with help from our archaeology friends. Other times, it's digging through archive folders in old book or museum's collections for the answer. And the second reason? Well, something you should be aware of is that we're fond of puns at the museum. So why call it digging our past? Because we dig history. It's hip, happening, cool, fleek, or whatever else the kids say today. Our first episode features a well-known name around Fort Atkinson, but as we'll discover through this podcast, there's always more to a name than you realize. And just a heads up, if you want to sound like a local, you'll refer to our town as Fort. We know what you're talking about. Situated towards the rear of the Horde Historical Museum in Fort is a small white wood frame house. Architecturally speaking, the house is a Greek revival upright with two stories and a single story kitchen L spelled E-L-L. The house features a pedimented gable, meaning there's a distinctive triangle shape in the gable, symmetrical shape, and bold, simple decorations. The house is covered in wood siding with cedar shakes for the roof. It has five rooms, three downstairs with a kitchen, a parlor, and a dining room, and two bedrooms upstairs. Except for the fact that it's missing a water source or a bathroom, it's quite a comfortable house. There are plenty of windows to let light in at all times of the day. The house has great traffic flow, and the rooms are a very decent size. In fact, the kitchen is larger than my kitchen in my modern house. So what's so special about this house? The first person who lived in it was Dwight Foster. He and his family moved into the home, likely built by Charles Rockwell, in 1841. If you're familiar with Fort Atkinson locations, the names Foster and Rockwell likely ring a bell. If not, our local library is named the Dwight Foster Public Library, and we have a Foster Street. And the name Rockwell is the name of a local elementary school and also the name of a street in town. The Foster House is the oldest, still standing, or extant, if you want to use the technical term, house in town, which is why it was moved to the museum's property in 1969 to preserve it from being destroyed by the construction of a new apartment building. But that's not what we're going to talk about right now. Back to Dwight. So who was he? Born April 18, 1801, in the town of Union in Connecticut to parents Edward and Rebecca, he was the oldest of four children. At the ripe old age of 22, Dwight joined the New York militia and was commissioned as a first lieutenant. Later he married, had children, and eventually set his sights on the West. In 1836, he and his family packed up their belongings from Stockbridge, New York, traveled to Oswego, New York, boarded a schooner, and traveled to Milwaukee. The journey took them 39 days. Once in Milwaukee, they traveled further west to the old Fort Koshkonong site along the banks of the Bark and Rock Rivers. Dwight was here to stake claims on land for future development, which was also known as speculation. He was staking claims on land for cheap now so that he could sell them for a profit in the future. Pretty savvy, huh? While waiting for his land to appreciate in value, 
Dwight served as the first postmaster in Fort Atkinson, for which he is given credit for naming, after the 1832 war military fort, and commanding general in charge of the army. He was also the judge of probate of wills for Jefferson County, giving him a say over deceased person's estate. Prior to the first bridge being built over the Rock River at Main Street in Fort, Dwight ran a ferry across the river, just a bit upstream from the modern bridge. He also ran a tavern and inn. In the 1860 census, he's listed as a farmer for his occupation, but he was so much more. In 1870, Dwight passed away at the age of 68 and is buried in Evergreen Cemetery. A couple of decades later, as the city was raising funds for a new public library, Dwight's son-in-law, Henry Southwell, gave funds to be used for the library with the requirement that the library be named in Dwight's honor, hence the Dwight Foster Public Library. As for Foster Street, it was part of the original Foster addition to the city of Fort Atkinson, and since people plotting the additions to Fort are allowed to name the streets, we have a Foster Street. Because really, why not name something after yourself if you're given the opportunity? Merrily Lee Avenue, here we come. But this podcast isn't really about Dwight. I know what you're thinking. Then why did you spend all that time discussing Dwight? Ah, my observant friends. To make a point. Remember, this is digging our past. And there's more to this story that needs to be mined. Someone's story was overlooked. Did you notice someone missing from Dwight's tale? A key member to this story? Dwight was not alone in anything that he did after 1825. In 1825, Almira Horton, who is also from Union, Connecticut, married Dwight Foster. And this podcast is truly about Almira. She's an overlooked part of early Fort's history, and she deserves to be uncovered. Almira was born to parents Ezra and Olive May Horton. Ezra was a deacon, so it's safe to assume that the church played an important part of Almira's early life. Almira was born just past the U.S. Revolution, And while King George no longer ruled over the colonies, and therefore it was a new world order, there was still the same social order. Almira was expected to marry as well as possible, manage her household, and provide a family for her husband. But what if you and your family move to a new area where the next closest settlement of people similar to you is nine days away? Then the old familiar social and gender roles get a bit fuzzy. After moving to Fort Atkinson, Dwight would have had to depend on Almira, just as much as Almira had to depend on Dwight. It didn't matter whose quote-unquote job it was supposed to be. If it had to be done, it got done. Which is why we have stories of pioneer women sod-busting or doing the first plow through prairie grass, which was a hard and strenuous job and generally seen as man's work, or stories of pioneer men planting vegetable gardens, which was women's work. In many ways, The marital partnerships among early pioneers, such as Elmira and Dwight, were far more egalitarian than even the marital partnerships of their children. Elmira and Dwight needed each other for survival. And like other pioneer families moving west, they knew it. Prior to moving west, they had three children. A son, Henry, who lived just 11 days in 1829. Another son, Edward, named for Dwight's father who lived for four months before passing away in 1836, and a daughter, Celeste, who was three years old when they traveled on a wagon and a boat for over a month to Milwaukee. So to any parents listening, how would you like to travel with a three-year-old for over a month on a wagon and a boat? 
Car trips with three-year-olds can be stressful enough, but a wagon trip? And with no screen time to keep us all sane? I'm just going to say no thank you for all of us. Once the family arrived in what is now Fort Atkinson, Almira and Dwight had another son, Alvin, born in 1838, but he sadly died in 1846. So of Elmira's four recorded births, only one, her daughter Celeste, survived to adulthood. Elmira's family was small, but well-loved. Elmira's husband Dwight died when he was 68 in 1870. Her daughter Celeste, again her only child to survive to adulthood, passed away in 1883 on her own 50th birthday. Celeste had two daughters, Mary and Myra. Myra was named in honor of her grandmother, since Myra was Almira's nickname. Myra passed away at the age of one. Almira outlived her husband, all her sons, her daughter, and a granddaughter. And we have no idea how that made her feel. We can imagine the weight of her sadness, her bittersweet joy with her granddaughter Mary, and some jealousy that she might have had at watching other mothers, grandmothers, and daughters interacting. But this is all just a hypothesis. The truth is, we don't know. Almira left no indication of her feelings. In fact, we have nothing in Almira's own words. She left no letters, journals, memoirs, or anything written that would have shared her thoughts. We only have a photo of Almira and secondhand stories of her. Let's start with a photo to help us have an image of Almira to go with her story. The black and white photo of Elmira was taken around the 1850s and shows a dark-haired older woman staring determinedly at the camera. She is well-dressed, possibly in silk from the shine off the fabric, and her hair is carefully parted in the middle and smoothed down. No pesky flyaways for Elmira. But it is her face that's the most poignant. And here, yes, I'm going to get a bit personal and tell you what I see in her face. I have no sources other than my gut and experience to back up my next statement. So here's what I see. I see a strong woman who faced more hardships and sadness than I will likely see in my life. I see a woman who knew her own strength and was proud of what she had achieved. There's a tilt to her head and that strikes me as pride. Not necessarily proud, but just pride in what she had accomplished. Her possibly hazel eyes are bright and intelligent. Remember, black and white photo. But it's her mouth that draws my attention. She's not smiling at the camera. Having your picture taken at this time was a solemn event, so no silly smiling for her. But her mouth has a hint of a smile, like it wants to smile. The most notable lines on her face are along the sides of her mouth, also known as dynamic expression lines. I looked that official name up. I didn't really know what those lines were called. And if you didn't either, well, now we both know. You know how we usually get dynamic expression lines? From smiling and talking. To me, that says that Almira enjoyed smiling, talking with neighbors, and spending time with others. She strikes me as someone who would have enjoyed a good joke. Not a dirty one, though. Just a good, clean joke. Like maybe a pun. But what did others say of Almira? My favorite Almira story comes to us from Aaron Rankin, who as a teenager traveled with Almira and Dwight to Fort Atkinson. He spent quite a bit of time with the Fosters and would have had a more intimate opinion of them. Rankin, in his memoirs, told a tale of traveling with Elmira to help our modern ears better understand the scenes he's describing. I'm going to paraphrase. See if this exchange sounds vaguely familiar. To set the scene, Dwight and Aaron have loaded the wagon full of items purchased in Milwaukee to take back to Fort. 
They've spent quite a bit of time getting everything loaded and are, in their opinion, ready to go. Dwight says, all right, wagon's loaded. Amira, you and Celeste can ride on top, let's go. Amira says, that doesn't look very safe. I don't think Celeste and I should ride on it. Dwight says, it's fine, nothing to worry about. Get on, you two can ride on top, it'll be fine. Amira, we're not riding on that top or anywhere else. You need to rearrange it so it's safe before we get on. Dwight, we've spent all this time loading the wagon. We're not reloading it. It's fine. Get on. Amira, no. Rearrange it before your daughter and I get on it. And then guess what happens? Dwight and Aaron rearranged it. Then Amira and Celeste got on the wagon. Maybe this story stands out to me because I've been in similar conversations with my partner or childhood memories of my parents loading the family car prior to a road trip. Either way, I think we can all recall a similar conversation. I like this exchange between Elmira and Dwight because it's so real, even for today. We've all had these conversations, apparently for centuries, as people bickering over whether we're ready to go or not. It also shows that Elmira had a backbone and knew that she could quote unquote stand up to Dwight. That's not always the image we have of 19th century women who can often be seen as subservient, deferring, lesser individuals compared to their husbands, who were the head of the household and all will do as he says. But remember, Elmira and Dwight were partners with a 50-50 share. No one was in charge, but in this case, Elmira was. And that creates an image of Elmira who is strong, independent, and fiercely protective of her family. That's a good image to have. Other stories of Elmira reveal that she was kind, generous, thoughtful, and considerate. Those stories create an image of a woman who matches the smile lines on her face. A woman who smiles at neighbors, laughs at jokes, waves to babies, and tries to help her community. I don't know about you, but I like this lady. Almira passed away on February 4th, 1886, and is buried next to Dwight, their son Alvin, daughter Celeste, and other family members in Evergreen Cemetery in Fort. The story of Almira teaches us an important lesson. Namely, what is your legacy? What will be left of you when you pass away? Sorry it sounds so morbid, but since we don't have anything in Elmira's words, her legacy is all secondhand. Although to be fair, Elmira didn't intend to leave a legacy. She was simply living her life. But in living her life, she left a legacy. And while Dwight's name is saved around town, Elmira's isn't. But they were together in all that they did. So every time you hear Dwight Foster, please add Elmira to it. And to protect your own legacy, leave something tangible in your own words, but not digital. We'll discuss why not to in a future podcast. But trust me, future historians will appreciate it not being digital. Back to the Fosters. The entire Foster family's legacy is found throughout town and is recognized at the Foster House on the museum's grounds. The house, the one I described at the beginning of this podcast, is the largest artifact that we have that Elmira once used. When walking through the kitchen, you're walking through her kitchen. When walking down the steps from the bedrooms, you're walking down steps that she used to walk down with arms full of dirty laundry to wash. It was her home. Dwight might have been the technical owner of the house, but she owned the home. To be fair, Elmira and Dwight's story isn't that unusual. Most towns in the Midwest have a story of an early family that moved to the new community and helped boost the town's growth. But here in Fort Atkinson, Elmira and Dwight are unique to us because they're our early Yankee settlers. 
Their story encompasses the story of so many who found their way to Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, and the United States. How many people have traveled here looking for a better future for their families? How many still do? The Foster family experienced the same emotions we experience with our families today. Love, hope, loss, heartbreak, and joy. They cheered when Celeste took her first steps. They cried when the older generation passed away. And they smiled fondly at each other, remembering a different time. Because they were a family, just like we are today. So what's in their name? The Foster name represents family, love, courage, and strength. And partnership. Now that's a name to stand behind. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of our podcast series, Digging Our Past. In future episodes, we'll explore other aspects of Fort Atkinson's history. And since people have been living in the Fort area for over 10,000 years, we have plenty of history to explore. Thank you for taking this first journey with me. I'm Marilee Lee, and you have been listening to the Horde Historical Museum's podcast series, Digging Our Past. Digging Our Past is a podcast produced by the Horde Historical Museum in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. Today's episode was written and hosted by Marilee Lee and audio engineered by Alicia Bade. For more information on the museum, visit us at www.hordemuseum.org or like us on Facebook.